Amen. Thanks, Mel. Good morning, Grace Hill. It's good to see you. My name is Alan, one of the pastors here. Would love to meet you afterwards if I haven't already. Uh, Before we jump in, I'm going to do a little housekeeping. Um, If you guys remember two weeks ago, in the middle of my sermon, a fire alarm went off. And we had to evacuate the building. Now, uh, when something like that occurs, um, you kind of learn a lot about how people respond and react when we need to evacuate unexpectedly. And so there were some things that we observed that we felt like, ooh, we need to do a better job at that. So um, everyone did a fantastic job getting out of the building, and, um, but the thing that we wanted to do a better job at is how we safely reunite kids with their parents. All right, that was done in a very orderly fashion when that fire alarm went off, but the problem that happened was we did it inside the building and not outside the building, all right? And so, fortunately, there wasn't an actual emergency two weeks ago, but if there was, we need to do that outside the building. So we put a few protocols in place, and all of our GHK volunteers trained on that this morning. Um, They have evacuation plans as well. And so I want to put an evacuation map, if you can kind of see this. We're currently in the auditorium. So in the event that we need to evacuate, what we'll do is go out these doors, hang a left, go straight out door number eight, okay? And then your kids, who are back in Grace Hill Kids, are going to be going out the closest door to them, door number six. So you don't go to them, go outside, and the place that we're going to reunite kids is going to be at the stadium entrance. It's right across the the parking lot. Our Grace Hill Kids volunteers are trained to take them straight there, and that's where you go to reunite with your kids. They'll just make sure we do it in a safe way in case of an actual emergency. Does that sound good? All right, good. So good learning experience for us. We'll do better next time. Hopefully there's not a next time, but thanks for uh, letting me show you guys that as well. All right, let's jump into the scriptures. Um, As you know, we are in a series called What is the Bible About? This is part five. It's a six-week series, and so we're just talking about what the Bible is about cover to cover, and doing that in six weeks meaning it means that we're doing that very, very high level, just kind of a really high-level pass-through of the meaning of the scripture. So we're in part five today, which means next week is our last one. We get to do end times, super fun. Um, But this week we're going to be continuing in the New Testament. So quick recap, of course, we started all the way at the beginning at creation. And we learned about how God created us to be in a relationship with him where he provides for us, he cares for us, and we trust him. And that means that we have a life that is full, a life of joy and peace under his care. But it doesn't take long for us to get to the place in the scriptures where we as humanity decide to not trust God. We don't trust his ways. We don't trust his word. We don't trust the boundaries that he's put into place for us. And so this relationship between us and God breaks. And that brings brokenness into our world, which we all experience. But as we continued in the series, we discover that it doesn't take long for God to communicate a plan to his people to to rescue the world from the fall, to reverse the fall, to, to make a way that our relationship with God could be restored again. And that was going to happen through this person named Jesus. And so if you 
missed any of the last four in this series, I really encourage you to go back and listen to those to get all of the context. But last week, we are in the Gospels, so the four books in your Bible that talk about the life and the ministry of Jesus and what Jesus does. And so what we learned is that Jesus has arrived. He is bringing the kingdom of God with him. He is beginning to do this work of restoring our relationship with God and making a new creation, reversing the fall. And he does that through the cross. So he goes to the cross to pay for our sins so we can be right with God. And then he's raised again from the dead. And that allows him to defeat death and him to be the one that leads us into a new creation, into eternal life, into this place where there is no more fall, there is no more sin, there's no more heartache, and our relationship with God is whole. We trust him. He cares for us. And so that brings us to today. And just a really simple question that I think all of us probably come to when we get to reading the Gospels, and that's this, so now what? Like, I, I've trusted in Christ, you know, I, I trust that he's forgiven me of my sin, that I belong to him, but now what? Where's the kingdom? Where's the new creation? Uh, the, the world, I, I look around, my experience, it, it still seems like it's broken, it's, it's fallen. Now what? what? Why is the world still the way it is if Christ has already come and Christ has already brought the gospel and Christ has already gone to the cross and he's risen from the dead? Now What? Where is this kingdom? Where do we find ourselves today, you and me, in this story of the Bible? And that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to be in the New Testament, and we're going to start in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it to Acts 1. Acts is like the historical book in the New Testament. It's the book that helps us understand all the events that happen after Jesus is raised from the dead and goes to be with the Father. And so we're going to jump into Acts chapter 1, right in verse 1, the very beginning, to get an answer to this question of now what? So I'm going to read um, a few different scriptures right now so we can orient ourselves, and then we'll ask what it means for us today. So Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we're going to go through verse 9. It says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, by the way, Acts was written by Luke. So the first volume of Acts is the book of Luke, okay? So Luke, Acts, is kind of one book in two volumes, if you didn't know that. And so Theophilus is the person he was writing to. He goes, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the book of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He, that's Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what we learn is that Jesus tells his disciples, all right, stay in Jerusalem, okay, wait for me, wait for the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, we're going to find out. Verse 6. 
So when they had come together, they're in Jerusalem, they, the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Totally fair question. I just witnessed the cross and resurrection. Jesus is alive. Jesus has been preaching this message that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming. We've been expecting the Messiah to come and establish the kingdom. Okay, so Jesus, now's the time to do it, right? Let's, let's bring about the kingdom. Let's get rid of sin. Let's do all of it. Fair question. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, not yet. Not going to tell you when, but not yet. So Jesus doesn't say that that's not going to happen. That will happen. Jesus will bring this kingdom in its fullness. That's next week. We're going to talk about that. But not yet. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And Jesus ascends to be with the Father. So Jesus tells his disciples, nope, not bringing the kingdom in its fullness right now, but in the meantime, while you're waiting for that, you are going to be my witnesses throughout the known world. You're going to share this gospel. You're going to continue this ministry that I already started. And so we get to Acts chapter 2. They were told to wait in Jerusalem until they got this thing called the Holy Spirit. What is that? And so we get to Acts chapter 2, and this event happens. So I want to read that too. Acts chapter 2, start in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, that was a feast they were celebrating, they were all together in one place. So this is all of Jesus' disciples, more than just the twelve, as we'll find out here. But everyone who believes in this resurrected Messiah— They're in this one place in Jerusalem. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're going to talk about what that means in just a second. But look at this, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered, makes sense, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So you have this group of people. They're from all kinds of nations. He's going to give us a list in just a second. And they're all speaking in this way that's empowered by God's Spirit, and it's in an intelligible type of tongue. 
It's one where everyone can understand each other even though they all speak different languages. All of a sudden, there's this common language. And they can understand there's this unity that comes in this room together. Keep going in the scripture. It says, and how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Verse 9, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. So those are people from modern-day Iraq, Iran. Judea, southern Israel, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, modern-day Turkey, Egypt, and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, northern Africa, and visitors from Rome. There you go, we got Italy, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. They're drunk. (laughs) So you have this moment in in Acts chapter 2 where it's this diverse group of people, I mean all over the known world. They all speak different languages. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and now they have a common language. Right? They can understand each other. There's this unity in the room, and they were all talking about what? The mighty works of God. What you have in Acts chapter 2 is a glimpse of the new creation. The fall being reversed. You have this glimpse of these people who are united together, and they all trust the Lord, and they're under his care, and they're all talking about the mighty works of God. So here's what the writer of Acts, Luke, is doing. He's connecting this moment all the way back to Genesis 11. You want to know what the Bible is about? The Bible is about God reversing the fall and bringing about a new creation. Go to Genesis 11. One more time. So last longer scripture I'm going to read this morning. This moment in Acts 2, Pentecost, is the reversal of the moment at Babel. Genesis 11, this is after the fall, very beginning of your Bible. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make, make, make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and by two men for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. They're united. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord dispersed them from over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. 
Acts chapter 2 is a reversal of Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, they're united, common language. What's their motivation? Let's make a name for ourselves. But in Acts chapter 2, you have a group of people who've come to believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. They've come to believe in the good news, the gospel. They've come to believe that it has been sinful for them to not trust God, and they're repenting of their sin. And so God puts the Holy Spirit upon them, and now what? They can all understand each other. They're united together. But what's their motivation? They're glorifying the mighty works of God. Acts chapter 2 is a glimpse of this new creation that God is making. And so what Jesus tells his disciples is this. Your mission now is to start this thing called the church. And you're going to go throughout the entire world And you're going to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And you're going to give people a taste of this new creation. That I let you just taste just now here in Acts 2 at the moment of Pentecost. This is now your mission, church. Go be a witness to Christ. Proclaim the good news. Give them a taste of the new creation. The question is just how. And that's the story of the New Testament. How? How is the church going to be a witness of Christ in the world? And here's the thing. It could be really easy, a very easy application or a very easy answer to that question is, okay, we just need to send preachers everywhere, people who will proclaim the gospel with their mouth and proclaim this message with their mouth. And that's very much a part of what the New Testament calls the church to do, especially in Romans chapter 10. But that's not all that Jesus calls his church to do. Not just to proclaim with their mouth, but he also calls them to give people a taste of the new creation. If you're with us last week, we defined the gospel, the good news, in this way. We said the gospel, according to the entire Bible, so the way that Isaiah talks about it, into how Jesus proclaims it, into how the apostles interpret it, the entire gospel is this, that Jesus has come to bring about a new creation. He's reversing the fall and restore our relationship with God. And the New Testament makes it clear that the mission of the church is to proclaim that gospel and at the same time provide the world an experience of that new creation. Because this is what Jesus did. He proclaimed the gospel with his mouth, but he drew near to the lost and to the sinful and to the broken and to the hurting. And he let them taste something different than the fall. There is symmetry between the good news that Jesus proclaimed with his mouth and the experience that people had in his presence. So this is why scriptures like Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, are so important. Amongst many other scriptures in the New Testament, Colossians 1.18 says that Jesus Christ himself is the head and the church The group of people that comprise the church, those who believe on Christ, are his body. And in lots of other places in the New Testament, we get this analogy. Jesus is the head, 
The church is the body. And the purpose of that, the application of that, is that the mission of the church is to continue the ministry of Jesus as if he were still here, to be his body, to continue the incarnation of Jesus. The church is the body, the presence of Christ in the world. Meaning that when we're together as the church, empowered by the Spirit, Acts chapter 2, we are the presence, the literal presence of the risen Christ. Not in just what we say, not in just what we're teaching or proclaiming, but in what we do. That when, this is what I mean, that when people encounter a faithful church, they encounter Jesus. I want you to wrap your head around that. That when people interact with a faithful church, they are encountering Jesus himself because that church is his body. So in the same way that the woman at the well in John 4 encountered Jesus Christ and he ministered to her, when people interact with the church, it should be like that. And the the guy who had leprosy and the woman with the bleeding disorder in the church and Nicodemus and uh, all of these people who encounter Jesus, we read in the Gospels, their experience with Jesus, they should have the experience like that in the church because we are his body. So let me... Let me get out of the clouds, and let's get a little practical with this. What do I actually mean by this? The question I want to ask is this. Does our experience with the body of Christ match the words of Christ? When people encounter the church, does their experience with the church match the things that they're hearing being preached. Is that up there? Yeah, just leave that up there for a while. That's the question I want to ask. I want to explore that. What what does that mean? So, there's all kinds of promises that were given through the gospel in the New Testament, like glorious promises, right, that we preach all of the time. So, one that I think of is, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you trust on Christ, you are welcome in his kingdom. That's what we preached on last week. That's the good news of the gospel. And I think of like Galatians 3.28, right? There's no male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. All are one in Christ Jesus. If you believe on Christ, you're welcome in God's kingdom. So we preach that all the time. But does our experience match that? All right, so I'm going to try to illustrate this. Jake, can you come up here? Jason? I, I prepped him. Jason, come on up here real quick. This is Jason. He's one of our elders. You guys say hi to Jay real quick. All right. Jason, hold on. I've got here, this is a 20-pound medicine ball. All right? All right? It's kind of heavy. Can you, can you, you got this? You got some big shoulders. Yeah, you're good. All right, you come stand over here. All right, so Jason, all right, let's say he represents someone who's encountering the church. And let's say that I represent the church. So I'm a group of people. I'm the church. Let's say I'm Grace Hill Church. Now, Jason's encountering the church, and he's hearing really good news being proclaimed. 
It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done. If you trust on Christ, you're welcome in his kingdom. So Jason encounters the church, but he's got to wait. Right? It's heavy, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's got to wait. And so this wait in this case is maybe all of the reasons inside of his head and his heart that he may not be welcome in God's kingdom. He may not be welcome in the church. I don't know, maybe he's got some stuff in his past that he regrets, that he thinks just kind of, you know, God's disgusted with him. Maybe, maybe he's new to the faith, he doesn't know much about the Bible, and so he doesn't know how to fit into a church. So he comes, and he's got this stuff in the back of his head, this weight that he's carrying. Do I belong here? Do I belong in the kingdom? And he hears these words, it doesn't matter who you are, you're welcome in the kingdom. But does he encounter a church where when he comes in, everyone pretends like they're good? When he comes in, no one talks about what they're struggling with. When he comes in, everyone acts like an expert of the Bible. When he comes in, everyone's got eloquent prayers to pray. And he goes, man, is this a place where I can shed this weight? And if he begins to like share some of the things that are inside of him, does it become awkward? Or when he encounters a church, does he encounter a church that says, man, no, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, the way we're going to treat you, the way we're going to welcome you into our community, the way that we're going to welcome you into our life and friendship and presence and all of that, we're going to help you carry this. We're going to take this weight off of you. Does his experience in the church match what he hears being preached? Let's talk about another promise. Eternal security, Romans chapter 8. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. Like, if you trust on Christ, he has brought you into his family, right? And there's nothing that you could do that will cause him to disown you. So hearing that being preached. Now, listen. One of the ways that God ministers that promise to his people is he gives people that experience in the church, his body. So when Jason encounters the church, let's say something's going on in Jason's life. He's a part of our church, but let's say his marriage is struggling big time. And that becomes a deep source of shame for a lot of people inside of churches, especially evangelical churches, if their marriage is struggling. And so there's stuff going on at home, and he's bitter, and he's angry, and he's hurt, and he's mad. But this is a place where if he confesses that, if he talks about the struggles that they're having, that all of a sudden we're going to start looking down on him. Well, Jason, I don't know if you can be an elder here anymore. Jason, I don't know if you can lead a community group here anymore. Jason, I don't know. And all of a sudden he's feeling like, man, I got to carry that weight all on my own. Or does he encounter a church that says, man, there's nothing that separates you from the love of Christ. So we're going to minister to you and we want to see your marriage grow, but you can talk about it. We'll get into the mud with you. We're going to help you carry this. Because this gets heavy if you've got to carry it all by yourself. What about 1 Peter 5, 2? Cast your anxiety on Christ because he cares for you. How do you do that? Can you do that in prayer? 100%. You can cast your anxieties on Christ through prayer. You can also cast your anxieties on Christ by casting your anxieties on his body. So is this a church when he comes like, man, I've got some stuff that I'm anxious about. I'm anxious about my health. I'm anxious about what's going on in the world. I'm anxious about my kids and, if, and how they're going to be raised in this world. Whatever it is, like there's things I'm anxious about. And is this a church where anxiety means weakness? 
Anxiety means lack of faith. We don't know how to engage with that. Or is this the place to go, man, cast your anxieties on us. Let's meet. Let's get coffee. Let's, let's engage with this. Like, I want to see you be cared for in the midst of your anxiety, right? Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. One of the ways that you can put your burdens upon Christ is you can put your burdens upon his body. Is this a place where we can come in and ask for help? Like physical help. I, I, need, I need help here. I need someone to walk me through this. Man, I need someone to make me a meal. I, I, I'm, I'm struggling financially. I need help financially. I need help this, whatever it is. Or is this the place, right, where if they come, it's awkward to ask for help because what we do in the church is we gather for teaching. We don't gather to bear burdens. Last one. Can I, can I give this back to you? Sure, I, think of like, I think of like Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. Good news being preached to the poor, to the widow, to the orphan, to the oppressed. Jesus wants his church to proclaim the gospel and do it. And this is a church as if those people engage with this church. Is this a church that just gets to hear the good news? Or is this a church to say, man, I see you're carrying a weight. And my Lord has caused, called me to bear that weight with you, to step in and fill needs, to give you an experience of the new creation. Jason, you can go down and take a seat, man. Appreciate you. Here's my, here's my whole point. Here's my whole point. Experiencing the new creation is you come into a place like the church and man, you just start letting weight off. There's people there to help you carry your stuff. There's people there that helps you overcome your sin. There's people there that helps you overcome the things that have wounded you. There's people there that helps knock off the rough edges of your life. There's people there to do life with you, to do the gospel along with proclaiming the gospel. This is exactly why Jesus says in John 17, 21, John 13, 35, and 1 John 4, 12, that if we do that, if we do it, if we love one another in the way Christ loves, if we continue his ministry in that way and we do that with our neighbor, the world will know who Jesus is. It's the exact blueprint the New Testament gives us in reaching the world for Christ. Right? If the church is merely concerned with proclamation and not doing the gospel, then we are not obeying the Lord Jesus Christ and we're not doing ministry his way. We're doing ministry our way, but we're not doing it his way. And so this is where we find ourselves today. As, as the church, we're in this story, a part of this mission. We are to be a witness of Christ to one another and our neighbors through proclamation and doing the gospel. And this is why it is so crucial that Christians are a part of a church that are committed to one another and where you are known. Not where you just receive teaching, but a church where the gospel is experienced. You have an Acts chapter 2 experience. Churches can be orthodox, right belief, that's what that means, orthodox in their teaching. And they can be really proud of themselves for being that. And they can even make a brand of themselves 
criticizing the churches they don't think are orthodox. But they don't do the gospel. It has become a place where we come and marvel at the preacher. We marvel at his wisdom. We marvel at the books that he's written. But there's not doing. It's just sitting on Sunday and marveling. And that's not ministry Jesus' way. It's not what he called us to do in the New Testament. You need someone to help carry your stuff. And you have been called to be a part of a body where you're helping others carry your stuff. There's no such thing as mature Christianity without that. There's no such thing as being a mature Christian and not being a part of a church where you're committed and known and you're helping people carry their stuff. And people are helping you carry yours. It's just the model given in the Bible. You need to hear and experience the gospel and you need to proclaim and do the gospel. And guys, that's why the mission of our church is exactly what it is, to be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. Our mission is to be a diverse community. Acts 2, right? What displays the new creation? A diverse room united together, talking about the mighty works of God. A diverse community that follows Jesus. We want to do ministry the way Jesus did ministry. Loves people. That's how we did it. And it's safe to be known. This has got to be a place where you can come and unload your stuff. How else are we going to experience new creation? If you go back to Genesis 11 real quick, verse 6. So Genesis 11, right? Tower of Babel. Everyone's united. But they're united around the common mission of making a name for ourselves. Right? This is what God says about their unity. He says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I think that's how God designed and created them, to have that kind of power. And I think that's why he went and disrupted it because it was organized around making a name for themselves. But in Acts chapter 2, we see a reversal for that. And if we're in Acts chapter 2 church, where we do the gospel, I can guarantee you this, nothing will be impossible for the church. No sin will not be able to be redeemed. No wound will not be able to be healed. No lost person will not be found. If there's a united church under Christ who does the gospel, And so it's fitting that we end our time together this morning taking communion. And here's why. I'm actually going to ask those of you who have talked to Connect Teams, some of the elders, if you guys could start passing the communion. We're going to do communion a little different this morning. Where instead of you coming forward to get the elements, um, they're going to pass it to you right now. So work with them as they do that. It's your spread throughout the entire place. All right? I want you to grab communion, the bread and the juice, and just hold it for right now. Don't take it. But it's fitting that we end our time with communion because Jesus commanded his church. He said, when you gather together as my people, I want you to sit around the table and I want you to take some bread. And I want you to break the bread. And what this bread's going to remind you of is of my body, the body of Jesus. The body that he offered for us so that we could have right relationship with God. 
And so when we take the bread, we're reminded of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And at the same time, we're also reminded that we are the body of Jesus. And in the same way that Jesus offered his body for us, we are now called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is Romans 12.1. As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God for one another and our neighbors. That they may hear of the gospel and experience it. And then he said, I want you to take some wine and I want you to drink it. And I want the wine to remind you of my blood that was shed so that I could make you mine. So I could purchase you to be in the family of God, never ever able to be separated from my love. And as we drink of the wine, we're reminded of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, and we're also reminded of the love that we're supposed to have for each other and our neighbors. Because Jesus commands us, 1 John 4, right? John chapter 13, love one another as I have loved you. And so in this meal, this common meal together, we are united around the mighty works of God done through Jesus, and we're reminded of who we are and the call that Jesus has put on our lives. So the band's going to lead us in some worship. I want you to hold on to those elements. Don't take it yet. We're going to take it together in just a moment. We'll give these folks a few more minutes to pass it out, and then I'll be back in just a moment.